All right, well, two weeks ago, if you were here, you know we reviewed 2 Corinthians chapter 12, primarily verses 7 through 10, and we talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh and how Paul pleaded, that was the word used, he pleaded with God to remove his thorn in the flesh. We talked a little bit about what that thorn in the flesh might be, and there's a lot of suggestions, but no one knows for certain. So whatever it was that was Paul's thorn in the flesh, he pleaded three times for God to remove it. But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Thereby revealing to us that our strength is in our weaknesses, and God can overcome that. He gives us the strength we need. Well, last week, we followed up from that particular first week of 2 Corinthians into Isaiah chapter 40, and looked at verses 27 through 31. And we apply that particular text to our weary, tired, exhausted lives that we live. The key word we found in verse 31 was to wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord, we can gain strength for our weary soul. And verse 31 says, as a result, we can, we can fly like eagles. So we've had a couple of weeks where we talked about how we gain strength or how we can help our tired, ex exhausted, weary lives. But today we recognize and kind of go back to that last little bit of what was talked about in Isaiah to wait upon the Lord and recognize that, well, that's the hardest part perhaps of life. To wait upon the Lord is the hardest thing to maybe do. And to wait, period, is extremely hard. Because the fact is that our world that we live in, in our society today, waiting, if it's not already there, it's nearly extinct. Like the dinosaur, right? It's almost, it's almost gone completely. Now you might remember, we somewhat referred to that last week just a little bit of how we hate to wait and how no one really likes to do that and how it's gone away by looking at McDonald's. Okay? And of how McDonald's, Mike is already aware of this, I mean, you know, he's the one, he's the, he's the employee here of McDonald's. And how we go to McDonald's really there, there, you know, there's one exception that seems to be. She and I was in Evansville yesterday, and on North First Avenue is one particular McDonald's that's fast. I know. They don't even put McDonald's and fast in the same sentence, do you? Because typically when you go to McDonald's, you're asked after you place your order, or at least lots of times it seems to be, you pull up to the line and you wait for somebody like Micah to bring it out to you. Because you don't really get it in an instant. You don't get it that fast. And so, I mean, we talked about that a little bit, referring to the one example of how we just hate to wait. As a society, as a collection of people, we hate to wait. And then we can ask ourselves, well, why? Why do we hate to wait so much? And, and maybe the answer is because we live in a world where everything is instant. It's right at your fingertips. There's no waiting required for the most part. I mean, Especially if you're talking about streaming or internet or 5G. I don't even know what 5G means, but I know it's pretty quick. You can Google something and you get lots of results in split seconds. It's instant results. There's no waiting required. We live in an instant society, so it's hard to wait. But as we think about that, let's recognize that some things are just worth waiting for. Like winning the World Series. If you're a Cubs fan, 
and it happens to be one here today, at least one I know of, who recognizes that it was worth waiting. I think time was worth waiting 108 years to win the World Series. I'm not a Cubs fan. I could care less about it. But Tom, I'm sure, was ecstatic when the Cubs won the World Series. So it just tells us that, yeah, that some things are worth waiting for. And some things you've got to wait a long time for. But again, we hate to wait. So today, then, is a follow-up to perhaps last week, Isaiah telling us that we need to wait upon the Lord. We can gain strength for our weary soul. We talk about waiting. And the text we choose today to help us with waiting in our discussion and the message is in Psalm chapter 40. The entirety of the psalm is 17 verses. We're only going to read the first five verses. So stand with me this morning as we do to consider what the psalmist is telling us. Again, in Psalm chapter 40, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and expand upon this and see how we can apply this text to our lives as we wait patiently for the Lord. And that's what Saul says in Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. David is writing, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. Father. Lord, we thank you for the reading of this text today, Lord, and today we position ourselves to hear your word and how we position ourselves really in our lives now as believers, Christians gathered together today to position ourselves, Lord, to will begin to wait upon you. We don't necessarily today, Lord, pray for patience, but we do take a moment now, Lord, to pray for how you'll help us in our lives to be less busy or to be less exhausted and weary and just help us now, Lord, gain rest in the fact that we can wait upon you and then we allow you then to lead and guide and we'll follow so let's receive your message you have for us today as we wait on you. Because you surely, Lord, are worth waiting for. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> well, first, considering the psalm that we just read, chapter 40, the John Phil's commentary series states that there's no doubt, you can even maybe see it in the superscription of your Bible, that it's written from David. I mean, very people argue the fact or debate whether the psalm is written by David because it's recognized generally as him being the author of Psalm chapter 40. But the matter in which he wrote it is up for a bit of discussion and maybe even debate. Some suggest that David wrote this psalm during the years that he was fleeing from Saul. You know, Saul was pursuing him. David was going to become the king, and Saul was in pursuit of David for many years. And some say that's when he was writing the psalm. He was waiting upon the Lord during all these years. But still others would suggest or would argue that psalm was not written when David was fleeing from Saul, but rather that it was written when David was confronted 
by his son Absalom and Absalom's rebellion towards David, the king and father. So many of you may already know this story, but Absalom, of course, David's son, is upset with David because David would not avenge the violation that occurred with his daughter, to be David's daughter Tamar, and Absalom's sister. He's upset because he doesn't think his father is going to do justice for the violation that occurred upon his sister Tamar. Now, in case you missed that, Tamar, which again is David's daughter, Absalom's sister, was raped by her half-brother, David's son, Amnon. It's an ugly episode recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 13. But Absalom, who is the full-blooded brother of Tamar, learns about it and tells David about what happened with the half-brother of Tamar and Amnon. Well, David, as he learns about it, thinks it's best to just kind of hide it. Just let it go away. Let it fade. But Absalom thinks otherwise and begins to take matters into his own hands. It didn't happen immediately, but for the next two years, he plots and plans. And eventually, he has his servants that just murder or kill Amnon. But then after that happens, Absalom flees, kind of in fear of repercussions. However, in 2 Samuel 15, Absalom, after being gone for three years, returns to Jerusalem. And his intention now, as he returns to Jerusalem, is to take the throne from his father David. Now, the way that Absalom goes about trying to take the throne from his father is kind of clever. I mean, during the time that Absalom is gone, he befriends a lot of people and begins to make a case with other people that David, his father, is not able or at present at times to take the matters in his hands to govern Israel. So he begins to actually tell people that I can do this. David is gone. He's the warring king. He's gone from different matters at different times. You can't find him. I'll come in, I'll be the one, I can take the place, I can be the king. I can handle the situation. So he does everything he possibly can do as like a politician vying for the office. So he's kissing babies and doing all these different things and wins the hearts of the people. So essentially he returns to Jerusalem and of course his father David pretending to serve him but really only wanting to be in his position. And, and at the same time, then Absalom brings all his faithful followers, particularly men, back to Jerusalem with him and leads a revolt against his father, against the king, against David. What's in the midst of these things happening, either the situation with Saul or maybe now of Absalom, that some suggest that David's writing the song. But either as it may be, whichever case, both possibilities strongly suggest that David is in a mode or time, a period of waiting. You say, well, okay, what's all that mean to us then? That's, I mean, explains what's happened in the text of David writing this, but what's that mean to us? But to help us understand what that means to us, we have to first define what it means to wait. And you may already know what it means to wait, but here's two definitions for us to consider this morning. Number one, to wait is to stay or rest in expectation. To stop or remain stationary till the arrival of some person or event. That's a great definition of waiting. But I like the second one equally as well. To wait means to be ready to serve 
or to obey. Now, both of those definitions should apply to us as we position ourselves to wait upon the Lord. Both of those could apply to us directly. We should stay in rest and expectation till he comes or till we serve, be ready to serve in the, in the interim. So both of those could apply to us as we go through a period of waiting. In fact, really, if you think about it, to wait is often talked about many times in Scripture. The psalmist refers to it many times. Psalms 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalms 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Psalms 38, 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer and we could go on and on and talk about many different psalms and many of the references to Scripture about waiting and waiting upon the Lord. Because the Lord is certainly worth waiting on. So that means we should learn to wait. Rather than making quick, rash decisions, we should learn to wait upon the Lord. But as I mentioned earlier, that's the hardest part. And personally, I hate to wait. But waiting can have its advantages. And David told us in the very beginning of what we read today, in Psalm chapter 40, David very plainly tells us in verse 1, he said, I patiently, I waited patiently for the Lord. But again, it's just so hard to wait. I mean, I, I, I mentioned in the introduction, I mean, I asked the question, who really likes to wait? I asked before a show of hands, but if I did, many of us would not raise our hand because we just generally as a people, as a group, just don't like to wait. Sometimes the hardest thing in life to do is to wait. In the National Football League, did you know, there are four teams that have never made it to the Super Bowl. Those teams are as follows. The Cleveland Browns, they're not going to make it this year. The Jacksonville Jaguars, not going to make it again. The Houston Texans, nope. And fourthly, the Detroit Lions. Now, if you've been following the postseason NFL games, you know the Detroit Lions are on the cusp of making it now to the big game. Thereby erasing their name from the four teams that have never been. All they have to do it's a big task, grant you, but all they have to do is win the game today against the 49ers, and they will be in the Super Bowl. That's right. So I would imagine then that both players and fans would celebrate and acknowledge that that was worth waiting for. So some things are worth waiting for. And on a list of things worth waiting for, certainly it should be the Lord. Certainly, he should be among the top of the things worth waiting for. So having discovered that, having recognized that, let's go back to the text and discover two reasons why we should be patient and why we should wait. The first is this, of two reasons. Number one, it's simple. He hears me. He hears me. Now, perhaps you often speak, especially if you're a man, okay? Perhaps you often speak and your wife doesn't listen. Now, it doesn't happen in my marriage. She was like on the edge of everything I'm getting ready to say. She was like, okay. Remember that commercial E.F. Hutton? And when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. That's the way it is in my marriage. Okay, she was at every 
word I'm about to say. She's ready to listen, and she's ready to act upon it. Or at least that's my dream. But, it, I mean, it seems that so often in life we speak, and it seems no one is listening. But God hears your prayers. He hears your supplications. He hears your cry. Verse 1 confirms this. He, he inclined to me, and he heard my cry, says David. I mean, in the text, as you look at the verse 1 again, it's like David, it can almost be inferred that David has been waiting maybe for a while. Notice he uses the words, note that David says, I've waited patiently for the Lord. The expression, I've waited patiently, actually suggests that David may have been praying and praying and even praying more for a while. And then as a result, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And then for David, it may look like his answer may never come. But it finally did. Maybe like Habakkuk, the prophet. You know, Habakkuk was greatly bothered by his fellow countrymen and the slaughtering that was happening. I mean, removed from the homeland, it was, the Assyrians were attacking and all this was happening. And, he, and Habakkuk, the prophet, was greatly distressed about all this happening. So as a result, he began to pray, and he began to pray, and he prayed some more. And then as a result of his praying, he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And he waited, he waited for 15 years for the Lord to ever answer his prayer. But God did answer. And that's just, one, that's just not one account done in Scripture. I mean, it's often we find that people happen to wait upon the Lord. I mean, Nehemiah found out what was happening to his homeland. He began to pray to the Lord, and he waited for an answer. He only waited for nine months compared to Habakkuk's 15 years. But consider, who wants to even wait for nine months? I mean, nobody wants to wait. Again, I talked about it. We go back to now. We live in a time of everything being instant. I mentioned the Internet earlier, and now everything is at your fingertips. At a mere seconds. we hate to wait. We're not forced to wait because everything is available and rather quickly. But there are more things to indicate we live in an instant society in which we hate to wait than just the Internet. Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do much grocery shopping. I pretty much leave that to Sheila. A couple of weeks ago, she wasn't feeling very good. And when she wasn't feeling good, I thought, well, I'll be the good husband, right? And, and I'll go out and get a couple items. We only need like six items. I think it was a Saturday afternoon. She makes dinner for everybody on Sunday. They come to the house. And she knocks six different items to finish what she had planned for dinner for Sunday. And she wasn't feeling good, so I said, just rest. I'll go get it. Well, I went to Walmart. That's mistake number one. Okay? Because, I mean, I don't go often enough to know where things are at. But then everybody says, well, they moved everything to Walmart. You're not going to know where anything's at. So I walked in there, and of course, I don't know where things at anyway. So someone telling me they move stuff doesn't really help me because I don't go anywhere. So I went into Walmart on a Saturday afternoon looking for six items. Sheila probably expects me to be gone like 15, 20 minutes. Ain't that big a deal? An hour and a half later, I come back home. I couldn't find anything. It was just six items. But here's what I noticed when I was in the store. I began to observe some things. We are certainly having everything at our fingertips in instant. All the instant foods we have is remarkable. Here's a list. Instant pudding, 
instant milk, instant coffee, instant eggs, instant ice cream, instant noodles, instant oatmeal, instant soup. And I could go on. We live in an instant society. That's only a partial list. Now, I didn't even tell you this, but I'm going to now, is I didn't even consider the fact of everything also, or not everything, but a lot of things are ready to eat. Like, you can go over to the deli. You're in Walmart, make your way to the deli. You get fried chicken. You get potato wedges and all these things more. You don't have to buy anything uncooked or raw. It's ready to eat. How instant is that? You don't have to even prepare it. No spray on the pan, no go home cooking in the oven, whatever. It's just ready to eat at your fingertips. Don't we live in an instant society? Don't we get things immediately, except when you go to McDonald's? We do. I have kids on the bus. They get a food bag. They take home on the weekend, every Thursday or Friday, depending on the school schedule. And the bag contains things like, you know, cereal, small cup of cereal and chips and granola bars. I mean, everything's in small packaging. I mean, even get small packaging, if you will, of macaroni and cheese and ravioli. But here's the thing. As soon as they get on the bus, I allow my kids now to eat on the bus. When they get on the bus, they take it out of their bag, they pop the top on it, and they eat it without heating it up or without a spoon. They just start chuggling. They just start eating. I'm thinking, wow, that's instant. I mean, they get on the bus, they have this bag of food, and they instantly eat it. Now, of course, to also maybe reveal how hungry they are which maybe is a different story another time. But notice how we have so many things in our world today that are considered instant, right at our fingertips. No waiting required. And I'm not giving you many examples. I've got to share with you one more. Because maybe there's no better proof of instant everything than the volumes of self-help books. The classic is the one minute manager. Like it can really happen. One minute manager. But it gets better. There's multiple, multiple one minute books now. There's the one minute gardener. There's a one minute teacher. There's a one minute father. There's a one minute parent. And all these one minute books exist now. Like it can really happen in just one minute. But did you know this? There's a book called One Minute Christian. There's another book called One Minute with God. I mean, what is that about? I mean, like you can really just be on a speed track and just fast forward your entire Christian life and Christian walk in one minute. Or that God needs just one minute. I mean, God needs much more of our time than one minute. And in the text we look at today, as we recognize how we're living in this time of no waiting if everything being instant, the word of God then tells us something completely different. It ain't going to happen that fast. No matter where you live, no matter how fast you recognize and getting things to you, it's not going to be that fast. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait upon me. You're going to wait upon the Lord. So often we don't wait upon the Lord. We make our plans or things to go according to our way and our timing, and we try our best. We try our very best to hurry the Lord and to give us a blessing according to our timetable. 
They may not say the exact words, but our actions are like, okay, Lord, hurry up. It's getting kind of dark here. The circumstances are closing in on me. I need an answer, and I need an answer now. However, God is not in a hurry, and God is not to be hurried. He takes his time. He works to an infallible schedule. I mean, think about it. God smiles, perhaps, I hope he smiles, at our impatience, knowing that his timings are perfect and can never fail. I mean, have you ever planned a trip and, and, and you're in a hurry to get there? Every time Kayla and I go to a race, which is further away, like Paragon, Putnamville, different places like that, we're trying to hurry to get there. I don't drive. I mean, I got a CDL license. I can't. I get. A, I can't. I got to get a ticket. Amen. I mean, I don't want that. So Kayla does the driving. I mean, I'll pay for the gas. Let her do the driving. But she'll go 90 to get there. She's always in a hurry to go somewhere. Like an old Alabama song. I'm in a hurry to get things done, and she's in a hurry to get to a race. Sometimes we exceed 90. I'm over here thinking, God help me, get me there, get me there safely. I'm praying. She's driving. So we don't, we, we rush. And every time you plan a trip to go somewhere, so often it seems traffic just constantly is an issue. And I got to tell you this. This is, I, Kayla's really going to have to really tell you the extent of this, but she's not a patient driver. She has a lot of road rage. She needs to have a time to confess of all of us because she has a lot of road rage and I see this as I'm driving, and I'm praying. I'm praying we'll get there in time. But it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're ready to get somewhere. Sometimes things just happen, and it gets really frustrating because we hate to wait. But often, so often, there's a reason for our waiting. And we seldom understand why we have to wait. But God knows the big picture. One commentary I was reading this week said, Waiting aligns us, keeps us in step with God's perfect timing. For only he can see the big picture in all its details. Waiting strengthens our faith and teaches us to trust God in our unfolding future. God is not in a hurry and is not to be hurried. His timing is perfect. He is never early. He is never late. And after he looks upon us, which results in moments in which we should be receiving, we should be waiting. He looks upon us, he hears us, and we need to be waiting. We learn from David. In Psalm chapter 40, we learn from David. We hear the words, wait patiently for the Lord. Only God knows all. And in this timing, to be his will, it will happen. Yes, God hears us. We need to wait patiently because God hears us. Now, when he hears us, a lot of times we're complaining. But the Lord hears us and we're waiting for him. And we should learn to wait patiently as David has learned to wait patiently for the Lord. That's one reason to wait patiently is he hears us. The second is that he helps us. And we go back to verses 2 through 5 to recognize how he helps us. As we're waiting, he helps us. I just love how the verses begin to tell us how mighty and how loving God is. And it just tells us how much he cares for us, how much he loves us, and how much he helps us. Verse 2 says he brings us, he helps us. He brings us out of the pit, the mud, the junk and mud, right? 
And he brings us up and he helps us further. He sets us upon a rock. I may even add he helps us through the storm. Verse 3 tells us he helps us and that he puts a new song upon our lips for those who truly trust him. And verse 5 suggests and tells us and that he, in, in helping us, he gives us more blessings than we can ever count. I mean, considering the blessings we received in life, I mean, everything really is a blessing we get from the Lord. We don't recognize that always, always but it is. I mean, and have you ever considered how many blessings God truly provides you with? I mean, we don't really know, but David says it best here that, that if I could declare and speak of them, they're more than could be numbered, and they truly are. Because he gives us blessings continually. And when we think about that even further, I mean, just who are we anyway to demand a certain blessing or something according to our timing and to a particular schedule? I mean, who are we? I mean, we're just sinners. And the people who are imperfect calling upon a perfect God. We are the people. We are the creator. We are the people that sin against him. I mean, we sin against God, and, and, and we shouldn't go before him really demanding anything because we're not worthy of that. But God doesn't owe us anything, does he? We owe him everything. But we have the guts to diss God and then ask for something a moment later, sometimes in the same breath and sense. I mean, it just shows what audacity we have in life. I mean, sometimes we may say or think something that we, know, that we don't think is very bold, but I tell you, when we find out, when we truly reflect upon ourselves how much we're a sinner and we come before God demanding something, that shows we have a lot of guts. That shows how bold we are. We now think about it, but we certainly are. But we're truly blessed then. That God just loves us so much that he gave us one and only son for us. Whoever should believe in him should have eternal life. Let's talk about John 3, 16. We've been so, so blessed. And God loves us so much. He, he gave us a very special gift of his son, who's certainly worth waiting for. Now, as David writes this psalm, we can almost go back and see some prophetic undertones here of the ultimate gift of sacrifice, verse 3, he says, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And blesses the man who makes the Lord his trust. I mean, notice how the key word here is trust. Maybe some prophetic undertones of how they have must trust someone and why not trust the Lord? Why not wait upon him? John Phillips in his commentary says, Salvation is really a matter of whom we trust. Human nature is so that we would trust almost anyone rather than the Lord. I think, well, why would that be? And perhaps it's because we cannot see him. I mean, none of us have ever actually seen God. But yet, there is, when faith comes in the picture, and faith and trust comes into our lives, we must exercise faith and trust. And David then says, blessed is he that trusts in the Lord. I mean, it's not a matter of trusting the pastor of your church or the church in general or even a particular denomination, but just simply trusting the Lord. So David expressed in verse 5 that putting your trust in God results in blessings. Look at verse 5. 
He said, oh, Lord, my God, your wondrous deed, your blessings at the end are more than can be told. And they are. Someone once wrote, count your blessings, name them by store. It will surprise you they are many more. And it's true. Because he hears us and he helps us. The petition, he helps us. He's worth waiting for. But here's the thing we all realize. If God never gives us another blessing in our life, well, that's okay. For he has given us the best blessing we could ever receive, right? The best blessing ever imaginable is the Son. I said, okay, well, what's all that then have to do with waiting? Well, it's kind of simple. Here it is. We wait on all kind of things in life. I mean, we're forced to at times. I mean, besides the McDonald's thing, we're forced at times to just wait. And yeah, we don't like it. I mean, on a date, have one with your wife, but recognize you're going to wait upon your wife. Okay? There might be a little waiting required. Oh, if you go in the doctor's office or the dentist, notice you're not going to like it, but there's going to be some waiting. And we're forced to accept it. So at times, we have waiting forced upon us. So if all the waiting we have in the world, in a time where we're having everything instant at our fingertips, why don't we just be patient and just wait upon the Lord? I mean, why do we demand so th things to be done so quickly for God to meet demands right now? Why do we want to put some time pressure upon God? So I mean, let us reconsider our hurriedness and our busyness. Let's become just more tolerable, more patient. Now, look, I'm preaching to myself. Let's become more tolerable and more patient, especially when it comes to waiting upon the Lord. Because if ever was anything or anyone to be patient with or to worth waiting on, it is God. Especially because he helps us. Even we don't understand or know why the things are happening all around us. I want to share with you a conversational piece called Just Ask. Maybe you've read about it before. Maybe you've heard it. Here's a conversation piece called Just Ask Words of You or Me and God. So first is like one of us. Say it's just me. And I come before God. I say, God, can I question you? Well, God says, sure. He's got time for all of us, right? I say, God, well, I'll give him a question you, but promise you won't get mad. Of course, God says, I promise. And I say, well, God, why did you let so much stuff happen to me today? I mean, why am I having to wait? I live in a time where everything is now. Why am I having to wait? And God responds simply by saying, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I've been praying about this situation at school or work. I've been praying to meet the right person if you're in a situation. I've been praying about this new job. And I'm in a hurry, God. I'm in a hurry. And this morning, this morning, I actually woke up late. But God's listening. He hears us, right? And he just says, yes. So more specifically, I say, God, my car took forever this morning to start. Again, God's hearing us, and he says, oh, okay. 
And then a little further, I say, in the lunchtime, they made my sandwich wrong, and again, I had to wait. God's still hearing it. kind of nodded his head, if you will, saying, mm-hmm. And then further, I say, well, on the way home then, my phone, I depend on my phone. I can't do anything about my phone. It just went dead. I picked up his call. It went dead. God said, yeah, all right. Well, I'm not done complaining yet. I say, and on top of all that, when I got home, I just want to soak my feet in this my foot massager, my brand new foot massager, and just relax. But it wouldn't work. I mean, nothing went right today. And I'm still waiting for the answers about my job, my marriage, my kids. Why are you doing that? Why am I having to wait? Why do I have to wait so long to hear from you? What's the answers? Where am I going to get an answer? Why am I waiting? Well, God may be having that enough now. After hearing you say all this. So, well, let me see if we count the events. The death angel, first of all was at your bed this morning. I had to send another angel to battle for your life. I was let you sleep through that as you slept late. So now I'm kind of humble to say, oh. Well, God further said, and I didn't let your car start this morning because what happened to be there was a drunk driver on the road this morning that would have been on your route and would have hit you on the road. So now I'm a little ashamed. I don't even really have anything to say. So God further said, then, then the first person who made your sandwich today was sick. I didn't want you to catch what they had. I knew you couldn't afford to miss work. So now I'm just embarrassed and kind of say, oh, oh. Okay. Like I said further, now concerning the phone, your phone went dead because the person that was calling you was going to give you a false witness about what you said, about what they said on the call, and, and wants you to talk to them in which you could be maybe converted, and I wouldn't have covered it. And now you say, oh, I, I see God. And so on that last thing about that foot massager thing, he said, actually had a shortage. You're going to throw all out, throw all out, all the power in your house. I didn't think you want to be in the dark. So now all I can say is, I'm sorry, God. But God in his compassion and love says, don't be sorry. Just learn to trust me. Just learn to trust me and wait. And all the good things and the bad. And now all I can say is, God, I will wait upon you. I will trust you. And God, not quite finished, says this. And don't doubt my plan for you. That my day I have planned for you. Is always better than your plan. And in time, you will receive your answer. Just patiently wait. I mean, things happen. And sometimes we don't know why it's happening. And sometimes God allows those things to happen. But he helps us. God hears us. He helps us. He helps us through many different aspects of life. So we should simply just learn to be patient, waitable. We all know, we've talked about it continually now for more 30 minutes, about how hard it is to wait. And it's really hard, really hard to be patient and wait upon the Lord rather than taking matters into our own hands because we have a tendency to want to do that. 
We get tired of waiting. We just do things ourselves. But God's grace is available to each and every one of us. And we can rest in his love for us. Every time we wait, God provides. And provision's enough. His gift is even better than anything we can actually even manage in our own strength. We have to actually learn to wait. Learn to wait patiently upon the Lord. And as you're waiting patiently upon the Lord, just trust Him. That's the key. You simply learn to be patient the best you can and just trust Him and wait upon the Lord for He is surely, He is surely the one worth waiting for. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today to help us to recognize how we do live in a time of everything being instant, Lord, a hurriedness, busy society that we're living in, Lord. We recognize we're living in that moment. Perhaps it's more hectic now, Lord, in our lives than in any generation. So pray, Lord, today, again, not for patience, but we pray for rest, and we pray for strength, and we pray that you help us in our lives to begin to wait upon you. And we pray, Lord, that we recognize that through the time of waiting, we don't have to do it. We don't have to force ourselves to begin to do it while we're waiting. We can just simply wait through prayer, meditation upon your word, and just simply trust you that you'll come through. If it be your will, Lord, we know it shall be. You always keep your promises. You never fail us. Today, Lord, we position ourselves to simply trust you and to wait upon you. We thank you for this message today. It kind of echoes those very words. In Jesus' name we pray.